we will follow you. We've decided that many years ago, or some of us just last year, but we've decided to follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Father God, that's what we want to do here at Freedom Church, become fishers of men, to lead people into the saving knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, that's what it's all about. Even if it's one soul at a time, some ministries, a whole bunch of souls at a time, but this ministry, Lord, just one soul at a time, and we try to make disciples. Help us to do so, Lord, and we'll follow you for all the days of our lives. We pray that you receive the glory for our lives as we, as we go and as we follow you, Lord, everywhere we go. Lord, today, we want to hear what your Holy Spirit has to say to each and every one of us, whether it be through the worship, whether it be through the message, or from the word of God, or even from our fellow brothers and sisters as they speak with us today. Use us and, and make us lovers of God instead of lovers of men. Lord, we love you with all of our heart. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. You loved us so much, you just didn't talk about loving us. You demonstrated it by going to the cross and redeeming mankind with your precious blood. We thank you and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you here, you know, um, you may be seated. For those online, this is Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We just got a new audience, so I'm going to go through what I just went through a little while ago. Um, this is Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. Our website, if you're on it, is freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org. And you can find out what we believe in there. You can find our list of missing ministries. You can look at uh, services from years past, and you can even donate online. We have a men's Bible study every Saturday here at 9 a.m. Men, if you're local, come on by, 2810 High Paluxo Road in Lantana, Florida which is just a quarter mile west of I-95 on, uh, on the north side of the road. So um, that's pretty much about it for, for us today. Um, for those of you here, there's Gospel of John's in a seat in front of you. There's um, also larger ones on the back table if you want to give them out. Uh, there's also tithe offering, you know that. We don't take a collection. It's on the back. Um, and we thank you for all your gifts, tithes, and offerings. Um, you know what? We like to give people chances around here on Saturdays. You know, I let the guys teach. One, you know, teach to get develop their gift. Some of them find out they don't have that gift. Some of them find out they do. You know, so that's what Freedom Church is about. Not just winning souls, but making disciples. You just saw one today right here. Fourteen months ago, he didn't know Jesus Christ at all. Got saved by his father-in-law or stepfather talking to him about Jesus. His stepfather researched, sent him down here to Freedom Church, and he's been here ever since. That was his second debut on the, on the, on the uh, guitar today. And I think you wrote some of those songs yourself, right? Yeah, see, so if you hear him on the radio, it's Mac. <laughs> yeah, so don't get a big head. It's all God that did it. Anyway, 
For those of you that don't know, I wrote a book. It's on a back table. You can take it free of charge, or if you want to, you can just give a donation. It's up to you. It's uh, called About Face. It's, the subtitle is I Wake Up Call for the Church. I think we need one. America itself needs waked up. That's not the church, but if America would wake up, they'd get back to church and would be ready to go. Listen, we're in Phil- I'm going to turn to Philemon today. If many of you don't know that book, uh, you will after this study. Theron's going to hand out some flyers for you. On this study, in this little chapter, this is a one-chapter book. It's like 24 verses long. You can find it just before Hebrews, or is it after Hebrews? It's either before or after Hebrews. It's one book. It's after Hebrews, I believe. So just turn there. It's only one page. You'd miss it if you didn't have uh, some insight. After Hebrews. Oh, it's before Hebrews? Okay. Second, before Hebrews, it's a it's a book of twenty five verses, one chapter, twenty five verses, and um, we're going to do a study on it today. And I'm picking out in this little chapter, in this little chapter, there are nine pictures of what Christ did for us, shown in this little chapter. I call them shadows. Some people call them, call them pictures of what Christ did for us. Nine, nine things that are being shown to us about, about um, Jesus in this chapter. I'm going to read the chapter, and this is the New American Standard, I believe. No, New King James. New King James. I got so many Bibles, every different version there is. Uh, so... Um, now, this is Philemon, okay? Philemon, the name it's, no, no, I'm sorry. Let me, let me backtrack. Let's read before I go on. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother. First of all, that tells you right there that, that um, he is in prison in Rome. Paul is in prison in Rome, okay? And Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Archippus, Apia, our own soldier, our fellow soldier, and to the church in his house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and your faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of good every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the agent 
and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. Receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might be, might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for the purpose that you might receive him forever. No longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborer, and the grace and the, of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. One chapter. Philemon was a, a businessman, a wealthy man. Onesimus was his slave. Onesimus was his slave. But he wasn't just a slave. He was a runaway slave. He took off. And actually, Paul is telling you he led him to the Lord in his chains in Rome. And he's sending them back to him, no longer as a slave, but a brother, and telling him to forgive, forgive Onesimus, because the penalty for a runaway slave, Philemon could have had him put to death. So even Paul and Onesimus and everybody here is taking a chance. But Paul was going, uh, these people are spiritual, and they, he's going to get the message, and he's going to do what... what um, what is, is, is proper to do. So he was a slave, really, but now he is a brother. And he's not to treat him like a slave any longer. I put here nine pictures of what Christ did for us as shown in Paul's personal letter right here to Philemon. The first picture, if you have it on your notes there, is eternity will be provided. Eternity will be provided. And... Um, in the verse, it's either 10 or 15, 15, 15, for perhaps he departed for a while 
for this purpose, that you might receive him back forever. See, Paul is saying, yes, Onesimus ran away, but God had a purpose in it. And he had him led to the Lord and sent him back to, uh, to Philemon, to send him back to a Philemon. Onesimus departed to be received forever. Again, you could see God working. Paul knew that this young man, I say when he was a young man, was truly saved. He was truly born again. There was a change in him when he got saved by Paul. And Paul's counting on, on that and believing that this wasn't just a head knowledge thing, but a heart knowledge thing with Onesimus. Just for Onesimus to, to agree to go back, would, would act, he'd actually be putting his life on the line. So picture number one, we see a picture of eternity, that, that both of these men and any, any believer in Christ that has been born again will be existent forever. Your flesh may die, but your spirit will never die. Your flesh will die, but your spirit will never die. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, God says, you shall surely die. When he said that to, to Adam and Eve because they sinned, he meant you're going to die physically and you're going to die spiritually. But there's provisions made for spiritual death in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So he's going to receive him back as a brother. He's a runaway slave. He's worthy of death. But I'm sending him back to you. I want you to receive him as a brother forever. Picture number, picture number, uh, or the application here is our departing from being enemies with God has resulted in our forever being with him in Christ. Our departing from, from God or being enemies of God before, you know, you were saved, B.C. versus A.D., you know, you have departed, being, uh, being departed from God has resulted forever being with God in Christ. So yes, we departed from God not knowing any better, but now we, we know better and it results in being with God forever. We, we studied that last week in Ephesians where we, we learned that, that we were, we were uh, brought near by the blood of Christ, by the blood of Christ. So becoming a Christian you're brought near to God in Christ, and we are heaven-bound. You know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, and you can bow before him and, and say, Jesus, you're my Lord and my God and my Savior. You know, you are born again, and, you, and it will result in good works. It will result in good works. The things you used to do, you will probably no longer do. Sometimes you have to battle through a few of them, but it's going to happen. It looked like Onesimus had a complete change. Paul knew this man was truly saved, and he sent him back to Philemon, who he also knows is truly saved, and therefore he would be able to discern this spiritual insight that we're seeing here right now. Picture number two is verse 16. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, born again, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Philemon's obedience 
is encouraged here. So we see that he's going to receive him back as a brother, no longer a slave. And you know what? Here's the application. We have been changed in our relationship with God. We are now, now brothers and sisters. The status relationship has changed. We're, not, we're no longer a slave to sin, but now we're a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a brother with the, with the brethren. There's no doubt about it. Paul saw that Onesimus was truly born again. His relationship has changed. The flesh, by Roman law, Onesimus, I mentioned, would be, would, is, is a slave. The spirit, by God's laws, Onesimus is Philemon's brother now. Philemon's brother. And that's the same with you. Did you ever find somebody that you maybe hated in high school and didn't like and then found them born again and found them in some church what you went to and you see your brother? I see people shaking their head. You know, they change. They're no longer that person. They're, they have changed. They're born again. And now they're brothers and they have like spirits. And like spirits have tend to attract to each other. I always tell everybody, you put, you get 100 people in a room and, you know, some of them are druggies, some of them were alcoholics, some of them were um, sexual related sins, you know, uh, some of them are crack smokers. You put them in a room all by one by one, scattered up, and you come back about two hours later, you'll find the drunkards with the drunkards, the drug addicts with the drug addicts, because like spirits attract. It's called a familiar spirit. And that's what happens. There, you know, picture number two is Paul and Onesimus's, or uh, Philemon and Onesimus's relationship has changed. They're now brothers. And same with us. Our relationship to God has changed. Picture number three, we see a picture of an advocate. So far, we saw a picture of eternity provided. We saw a picture of us becoming brothers. And now we see that we have an advocate. Um, and that's our third picture. And it's verse 17. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. First John 2.1 says this. We have an advocate with the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our lawyer. He's our advocate. Paul is saying, you know, um, he's advocating mercy for Onesimus off of Philemon. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. You know, he's sitting in heaven. Jesus isn't down here anymore, people. It's the Holy Spirit that's here. Holy Jesus is in heaven interceding for us. He sits at the right hand of the Father. So the Holy Spirit is the, the operation of the Father here today on earth. But Jesus is in heaven being our advocate. Every time I sin, Jesus goes before the Father and says, He's with me. He's with me. And I'm free, and so are you. You've got to read this chapter 6, 7, and 8 of Romans, and it's very deep, and I can guarantee you, you will never touch bottom on those three chapters. Never. I mean, I think you've got to separate it into the spirit, soul, and body. 
And then I think you have a better chance of finding what Paul is saying in those chapters. Onesimus would not have been received in Philemon's house unless Paul interceded for him on his behalf. It's impossible. Onesimus would, or Philemon probably would have had him, him um, destroyed. Picture number three, we see here that Jesus stands beside us as an advocate. He is our advocate, as I said. We would not be welcome into God's house if Jesus were not interceding for us, church. We wouldn't be in, the, in, in, the, in heaven, believe me. Paul, then, is standing in the gap for Onesimus, and Jesus is standing in the gap for us. Jesus, he was bruised for our transgressions. Not for his transgressions, for our transgressions. We see picture number four, which we see here, uh, substitution. This is verse 18a, the first part of that verse. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put it on my account. So when you get saved and you put, you receive Christ as your Savior, you know, Jesus is saying to the Father, as your advocate, put it on my account. That's what Phil, Paul, or Philemon is saying to, to um, that's what Paul is saying to Philemon here. Put it on my account. Whatever he's done to you, put it on my account. A lot of scholars think that he probably was a thief and stole some stuff. Who knows, money, gold, silver, some precious thing. He, you know, but... If he owes you anything that he's stolen, Paul says, put it on my account. I will repay it. So Paul is agreeing to take Onesimus' place, just like Jesus takes our place if we give our trust and faith to him. Jesus agreed to take our place, and I don't know why he would do that except by extreme, uncontentious, Agape love. That's about it. Agape love. Because he loved us so much. So the application here is Christ agreed to take our place. He agreed to pay the price for our sin, which would require blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. So we're talking about the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world here. Christ took our place in death. He gives his place in life. And we know the scripture, he who knew no sin, referring to Jesus, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus was sinless. He didn't know any sin, but he became sin because he took our sins on that cross. And he took our place and paid for our sins that we might become his righteousness in Christ Jesus. Picture number five that we see here is imputation number one, I call it. You've heard me say this over the years. This is verse 18, the second part of the, the verse 18. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. This is the second part to that verse up above. Imputation. Onesimus' sin, Paul is saying, impute to me, a man, 
he points to Onesimus, was the thief and escaped and stole from Philemon. This is, is um, in itself is a capital crime, as I mentioned. He would be put to death. So this imputation number one, if you look in the scriptures, you find that Adam's sin was imputed to all men. That's why some people think that, well, if they're, they're doing good works that they're going to go to heaven. Matter of fact, I heard that in the men's group yesterday. One lady got really mad at one of the guys in there. I guess it was years ago. And he told, she told, he told her that he needs Christ, she needs Christ as her Savior. And she's there, no, no, no. All the good things I do. She's a, like a, someone that went on a missions trip to heal people and work with them and with uh, doctors and stuff all around the world. And uh, she got mad at him because that, he told her that good works isn't going to save him. And he hasn't talked to, to her. She, she won't even answer his phone calls anymore. See, she forgot that Adam's sin was imputed to her. So she was a righteous person doing righteous and good things. But the, if she was, even if she obeyed the Ten Commandments and the 603 other ones that are in the Scriptures, she still is carrying Adam's sin. And it has to be paid for. So, therefore, Adam's sin is imputed to all men. And Paul's saying, impute Onesimus' sin to me. He said, put it on my account, just like Jesus said. Put Joe on my account. Paul has a great spiritual understanding here. People read this book all the time, and they don't see the beauty of it. Like I spent last last five weeks, I spent in Ephesians chapter 2, looking up priceless things listed in that book. Priceless cross, the priceless salvation, our priceless future, you know, our priceless church. You know, there's so, so much deep stuff in the Word of God. And we got to swim for the deep things in the Word of God. So... So Adam's sin is imputed to all men, and all will physically and spiritually die without Christ. Our sin, our sin is imputement number two. That's picture number six, verse 19. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay. Here comes the payment. The payment is that Jesus imputes Jesus takes man's sin. Man's sin is upon Christ now for those who believe it. He was wounded for whose transgressions? Our transgressions. He was bruised for whose iniquity? Our iniquity. He didn't have to do that, you know. Here's what Romans 1, 10 through 12 says. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. He came to his own, and his own people, the Jews, did not receive him, but as many as did receive him, he became, you know, he became, as many as did receive him, became, the, have the right to become children of God. So, Paul is writing with his own hand. He's saying, and it's put, by that it's like, he's putting his signature to it. I will repay you. 
I will repay you. Paul is giving Paul is giving uh, Philemon a personal IOU, and that's the same thing that Jesus does for us. He's given you a personal IOU. If you believe in him, you will not perish. Now you will have eternal life. So there's another imputation in Scripture, and that is of man's sin being put upon Christ. And that picture is in this place too. Um, Jesus wrote this with his own blood for us. So my sin, if I put my faith and trust in your sin, if you put your faith and trust, is imputed to Christ. And now you're free. You're free. Jesus wrote this with his blood for us. My sin is imparted to Jesus. Now our sin is in charge to Jesus' account. Here's what Paul tells Titus 3.5. He says, He saved us, Christ saved us, not on the basis of the deeds you've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And you could back that up with Ephesians 2. By grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that any man should boast. And when I say, when God says gift, a gift is free. There's no payment necessary. A gift is free. When your husband or your spouse or your sons or your daughters or your grandkids give you a gift, it's free. You don't have to pay them five bucks to get it. It's free. So Jesus, our sin is charged to Jesus' account. Adam's sin is in charge to all men. Our sin is charged to Jesus. And Jesus' third imputation is Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us. So now we become righteous. And we're brought near to God, like we studied last week in Ephesians 2. We've been brought near to God by putting our faith and our trust in Him. So that's picture, that's picture number six. Jesus wrote it in His own blood for us. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You remember the Jews had to sacrifice a lamb for the forgiveness of sins. Well, we find out that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he takes away the sins of the world for those who put their trust in him. Hebrews 9.26 says this, that he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus did it by sacrificing himself he paid our price. Picture number seven, we see a swap and a switch going on, which is verse 18, charge the wrong to Onesimus of Onesimus to my account. So Paul, again, he's saying, charge it to my account. He was doing exactly what Jesus did for us. Onesimus... Um, and that's what Jesus did for us in taking our sins to his account. To his account. 
Here's the application. The Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. If you put your faith in him. Not if you just say, oh, I believe Jesus was a okay guy. He was a prophet. I believe that. No, it's more than that. You've got to believe it with your entire heart. He, he, that he, that the Lord laid the iniquity of us all, all of our sins, past, present, future, on Jesus. And we're all, this book shows us all that we are all Onesimuses. We're all Onesimuses. You know what? You know what Onesimus means? It means useless. But now you're made useful in God. He laid down the iniquity for us all. Psalm 22, 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt forsaken on the cross. This is a prophecy. He felt forsaken because for that moment when all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, came upon Christ, the Father had to turn his back. Here's Jesus with God the Father all of eternity. Now for this instant, he can't see his Father or be with his Father because all that sin of the world is laid upon him. And God turned his face, basically. And I believe that is the worst thing that could ever happen to Jesus. Not just the physical, not just the physical abuse he went through and the mocking, but being separated from his father. And basically, a lot of theologians will tell you that's what hell is, separation from God. You might be in the fire, but you're separated from God. So we're all Onesimuses. We need to be useful to God. Here's what Paul tells the Corinthian church in chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Let me read it from the, from the uh, actually the, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse, we're going to start at the 19th verse. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So you see those three imputations in this chapter. Adam's sin imputed to man. Man's sin imputed to Christ. Christ's righteousness imputed to us. You, in Christ, are righteous. You may do a few bad things once in a while, but God continually forgives you. That's First John 1, 9. You well know it. He, um, you know, you know First John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just 
to continually, that's the verb tense, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because the minute you got saved, you probably sinned a few seconds later. Could have been a thought, could have been anything. You're continually saved. That's the verb tense of the verb used in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. It will continually cleanse you from all sins. Picture number eight is that imputation, not to mention to you, this is uh, Paul writing to Philemon, verse 19, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Paul's getting pretty strong here. He said, remember, Philemon, you would be lost if it wasn't for me. Boy, that's, that's a toughie, you know. Listen, Philemon, you would be lost if, it's not, if it wasn't for me telling you about Jesus. So therefore, you owe me, and what I want you to repay is Onesimus' life. I want you to receive him as a brother. And that's really, I guess you could say, what Jesus did for us. You know, we owe him. He took away our sins on the cross. And his righteousness was imputed to us. Jesus took our place in death. He imputes to us eternal life in Christ, in his, in him, and we owe him our lives. And that's why when believers really mean what they, they prayed to the Lord, and they really mean it with their whole heart. They follow Jesus with their whole heart. We sang it today. We follow Jesus with our whole heart. Because we love him. Because we love him. I always go back to John chapter 12. Gospel of John, chapter 12, and verses 31, 32. And I'm going to say something. I said it before in this church, but I want it to be very clear. And as I read this verse, verse 31 and 32 of John, chapter 12, now is judgment of this world now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world has been cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all. Notice your, uh, I don't know if your Bibles, you have a good Bible. It, the next word should be slanted in italics. Is it? Okay. It's slanted in italics. He says, I will draw all men. Usually is what it says, to myself. Now I want to tell you something. That word that was put there, men or peoples in mind, it says peoples, you know, that word there is not in any of the manuscripts. Any of the Old New Testament manuscripts do not have that word there. So that means the slanting and the italics and maybe the parentheses around it, means it was added by the translators. Okay? So that means 
If it's, if it's not in any of the manuscripts, it should not be there. Is that correct? It shouldn't. It won't be there. Not if it's correct. So, what is the context of this verse? The context here is clearly verse said in verse 31 below, above. Now is judgment. So the context of this verse, these verses, is, is judgment. So let's read the 32, 30 verse, 32nd verse again. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all judgment to myself. All judgment to myself. All your judgment for your sin is laid upon him on the cross. Because if, you know, we preach the gospel here, and if we lift up Jesus here, and this place is not packed, Unless you count the angels. <laughs> right? That the context is judgment. All of our judgment. If we lift up Jesus in our lives. I read again the whole passage. Now is judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all judgment to myself. He's taken all your judgment for all your sins. The complete wrath of God. Isaiah 51. I'm going to read this to you. Isaiah 51, verse 17. This is Isaiah speaking for God to Jerusalem or to the Jews, and it's also speaking to us today. Awake, awake. God's telling the Jews to wake up. He's telling us today to wake up. Awake, awake. Stand up, O Jerusalem, or stand up, O Christian. You who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury, you have drunk of the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it out. God is telling the Jews, he's telling us today, you are have drunk from the sin of the cup of my fury. Your sin, my, you know, that, your, cup, your cup is full of sin. And I'm going to drink, he says, you're going to drink every last drop of it. And dregs, you know what that means? Drapes mean drug. I mean, it means um, drops. Every last drop. That's what a dreg means. That means that Jesus himself, when he came down to fulfill this, to take it away from us, he licked out the cup of every last drop of the wrath of God against man. But let's look at the 22nd verse. Thus says the Lord, the Lord and your God, who pleads the cause of his people, which we just read down there. See, I have taken it out of your hand, the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no longer drink it. So you see what that says? I got chills running through me. He took every last drop of the sin, all the judgment that was against us, he took it upon ourselves. He took it out of our hands. We don't have to drink from it. We don't have to drink from it anymore. Praise God for that. You know, so, listen, I'm not changing the scriptures. I want you to be very clear. I'm telling you that that word is not in any manuscript. If it were in one manuscript, I would make it scripture. That verse is telling all our judgment is passed on to Jesus. Not some, all. Jesus took it all. 
Picture number nine of Philemon. All right, it says, it's verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. That's a picture of the second coming of the coming of Christ. That's a picture of the coming of Christ. Paul's saying, you know, meanwhile, I'll also prepare a guest room for me. In other words, I'm coming soon. You can find that in Revelation 22, verse 6. Let me read it for you, you know, verse 6 and 7. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of your of, of the holy prophet sent his angels to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. This is the last chapter of the Bible, the seventh verse. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecies of this book. So as Paul was saying, Onesimus, I'm coming to see you. It's a picture of God saying, ah, behold, I'm coming soon. It's time for the church to wake up. That's why I wrote that book and put it in military terms, kind of like military terms that are self-explanatory. But he's coming so quickly, church. You can see it. The world's crazy. The church is, is, is not where it should be. It really isn't. And I, I'm going to show you right now. I, I pulled off the Internet. Oh, let me pull it. I was going to use this later. I'm going to use it later for something else. But this is Barnum's group's uh, survey that they took. America's top churchless cities. Top churchless cities. Number one, this was done in 2015. I heard it's gotten worse from here. Number one churchless city in the country is San Francisco. You know what's going on there, don't you? Number number two is Burlington. I guess it's Alabama. I don't know. It's Vermont. Burlington, Vermont. Number three church of city. Listen to this. Boston. 200 years ago. Was it 1740, 1840, 1940? 250 years ago, Boston, well, over 50% was born-again Christians. 250 years. They're in third place for the worst churchless city, for the top churchless city. Next one, four, is Portland. Next, next five is Chico. Number six, Las Vegas. Number seven, Seattle. Number eight, Albany. Number nine, Phoenix. Number 10, New York City. Number 11, West Palm Beach, Florida. Wait, there's mega churches all over this place, including little churches like this. And we're the number 11th churchless city in the country? How can that be? It tells me that the church isn't doing its job correctly. That's what it tells me. They're getting saved one one by one here and there. But for some reason, America's 
post-Christianity. It seems like it's slowing down. I tell you, when I was in Brazil, and I was hoping to go there again someday soon, in Brazil, when you go knocking at their door at, as, as, with your Bible in your hand, they invite you in for a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Here they slam the door in your face. That's happened to me many times over the years. I don't like to go door to door. But how can it be? And what, you know, what does Paul say here? But meanwhile also prepare you a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers. So he's saying pray. That's what the church, that's what else is being said here. Pray for the Lord to come. Behold, I am coming quickly. I don't know about you guys and girls, but I want to get out of this place. And I'd rather be raptured than go and die. So that's the end of our study. Um, I want to thank you all for being here. And those online, you can listen to this message when it's uploaded. Or, you know, you can have any questions, you can call me at Freedom Joe at freedomchurchpb.org. That's my web or f- email. Joe at Freedom Church PB stands for Palm Beach dot org. And, um, and I think that's about it. Uh, God bless you. I love you all. Tune in next week. Um, are we off air? Honey?